Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, January 27th, 2013. Today's message is Everyday Courage by Pastor Ryan Cochran based on Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. Let's pray. God, as we come now around your word, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. We thank you for this story of Daniel, Lord, for their faithfulness to you, but Lord, even more than that, your example of faithfulness to them. And so, Lord, we pray that today, as we hear this story, that we would hold on more tightly to you, the one who is able and the one who is faithful. Amen. May the Lord be with you. Amen. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Last week I began a sermon series that I have entitled Everyday Courage, and throughout the next few weeks we're going to look at some of the biblical stories of God's people who displayed courage. People who, because of their faith in the goodness and trustworthiness of God, obeyed him and stepped into places of danger and risk. The Bible is filled with stories of men and women who responded to God in this way, who were obedient to God, and even even though their obedience required them to step into danger. The verse that we're going to return to over and over again is this verse that I just quoted, this verse from Jesus, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It is our natural human inclination to avoid pain, to remain comfortable, to grasp on tightly to whatever we think will make us more safe, more secure, to hold on to our life. This is normal. This is the way of our flesh, to hold on to our life, to avoid pain and discomfort, to find safety and security. This is what we do as human beings. It is how we live according to the flesh. But Jesus says to us that when we live our lives in this way, then we will lose our life. If our focus, our attention, our desire in our life is to remain safe, to preserve ourselves, to use our time perhaps as we please, uh, to hoard the resources that we've been given in in order to protect ourselves against some uncertain future, Jesus says we will lose our life. And Jesus, I want to suggest to you, he's not only saying that if we seek to hold on to this earthly life, then we'll lose our eternal heavenly life, although that is certainly part of it. But Jesus is saying even more than that. Jesus is saying that if we seek to hold on to our life, to preserve it, and to protect it, then we will miss out now on the abundant life that Christ offers to us. 
This is not Jesus making this uh, contrast between holding on to our earthly life so that we can gain heavenly life, although certainly that's part of it. He's saying even more than that. He's saying that if we hold on to our life now, if we just seek to be safe, if we never step out in faith, if we never take risks for God, then we will miss out now on abundant life that Christ has for us. What Christ tells us is that now it is through giving up our life that true joy and true satisfaction and true peace and true comfort and safety, that's where it is found. It is through giving up our life for Christ's sake that true joy and satisfaction and peace is found. And so last week we began with the story of Ruth and saw how that was very true in her life. We saw Ruth in her story, how she committed her life, her well-being to Naomi and sacrificed herself for her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth did not act out of safety, but gave herself, her life up for Naomi. She acted out of love and concern. Ruth did not seek to save her life, but instead lost it in one way for the sake of another. And in the story of Ruth, as we read that entire story, we read how Ruth found her life. Ruth was then blessed by God with a husband and a child. Ruth became a part of the people of God, came to be a follower of the true God of Israel. And not only that, but we know in the biblical story that the reason that we know about Ruth at all is because she became King David's great-grandmother. And one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus. She lost herself, and in losing her life, she found it. And the Bible is filled with these kinds of stories. Stories of people who who were very much like us, people who struggled with faith, people who made mistakes. But in their stories, we see that they acted obediently to the call of God in their life in the face of risk and danger. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to look at some of these stories in order to remind us that these stories are not just kids' stories. They're not just stories that we learned in Sunday school and then somehow put aside as if they no longer speak to us anymore, no longer have something to say to us anymore. They are stories that remind us of God's faithfulness and remind us that we can live fully devoted lives to him, that we can lose our lives for his sake because he is good and he is faithful. This past Wednesday night, uh, we were talking about uh, the book of Ruth and talking about the sermon from last week. And we had a great discussion about obedience and risk and faithfulness and danger and how all of these things work together. And after that conversation, I, I realized that there's something that I want to make very clear as we begin, as we, or as we continue on uh, this sermon series. The calling in our life that uh, that we need to hear, the the calling that I'm uh, going to be proclaiming to us over the next few weeks, the calling is not to seek out risk. It's not to seek out danger. A calling in our life is not to be a martyr. That is not our calling. Our calling is obedience. The calling is to be faithful to the God who has saved us. What we see over and over in these stories is that so often obedience requires risk. 
obedience requires the possibility of suffering. And I think that we need to get our heads around that a little bit as those who live in North America and who typically aren't used to a lot of suffering or who are very good at avoiding suffering in one way or another. Because I think often in the Christian life when we suffer, we start asking the question, what did I do wrong? I'm suffering here, God. What did I do wrong? Why is God causing this suffering in my life? Why is he punishing me in some way? And yet over and over again in the scriptures, we see that that is not the message about suffering that the Bible gives to us. In the scriptures, we see in the Bible that suffering is used by God as a refining fire to shape us more and more into the image of Christ. That's one of the reasons for suffering that we see. A second thing that we see about suffering is that suffering is often the result of people being obedient to God. Not the result of people being disobedient to God, although that happens too. But more often than not in these stories, their suffering, their hardship, is a result of their obedience. Jesus, to his disciples, said, If the world hated me, it will hate you also. What did the world do to Jesus? The world hung him on a cross. Why should we expect that obedience, following his example, going about living our life as he lived his life, why should we expect that we would avoid suffering when his obedience led him to suffering? Obedience to Christ often does not, maybe even more times than not, does not lead to greater safety and security in this life but instead calls us to lose our life, to lose safety and security in this life in order to find true and abundant life. One of the very first verses that I decided in my own life that I would memorize on my own, not a a verse that my Sunday school teacher told me to memorize or whatever else, but the first verse that I decided to memorize was Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And Romans chapter 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One translation says for Romans 12, 2, Do not let the world shape you into its mold. I think that's a great image for us. Do not allow the world to shape you into its mold. It seems to me that as I grow older, I'm actually finding it harder and harder to resist being shaped into the mold of the world. I think that we often think of maybe our younger days, maybe times when we were teenagers or we watch teenagers or college students or 20-somethings today and we think, wow, it must be really hard to not conform to the pattern of this world. There's so many temptations that we faced as teenagers and as 20-somethings and there's so many temptations that they face. And we think that it's the young people, the young people who must really have a difficult time not conforming to the pattern of this world. And certainly that's true. It's certainly in my own life it was true. But I'm finding that as I get older, it's actually becoming more difficult. Because it seems to me that the temptation that I faced when I was younger were much more obvious. 
I knew very clearly when I was conforming to the pattern of the world. I knew when I was doing wrong. The temptations that I faced at that time was very obvious when I walked in them. So maybe today, I'm, as I'm older, I'm not faced with some of the more obvious ways to conform to the pattern of this world like I was when I was younger. But the world continues subtly, perhaps more quietly, to put its pressure on me, to put its pressure on us, to shape us, to live according to its values, to live as if this world and its pleasures is all that there were to live for, and to try to shape my life so that I can be safe and secure here. The mold of this world is becoming more subtle, it seems to me. There is this vision of the good life that we are given. This narrative that says to me that my happiness comes from living according to some image of some middle-class American dream that I see every single day on television and in advertisements. It says to me, earn more, save more, get more, consume more, control your money, control your life, do the right things, And at the end of your life, happiness will be possible. It's very subtle. Because acting wisely with our money and our time and our resources is a good thing. Right? It's subtle. Where is my heart? In what ways am I allowing the world to conform me to this image of the good life that is placed before me? The question for us today and the question that we will see in the story of Daniel is, in what way do you find yourself being tempted to conform to the pattern of this world? If you can't think of anything today, any answer to that question, any way that you are feeling a pressure from the world to conform, I want to suggest to you that this is a place for you to reflect. I want to suggest to you that you are being molded by the pattern of this world more than you think that you are, and that you need to pay attention. To reflect on the ways that the world is pressuring you into its mold. Because the more that we are shaped into this mold, the more likely we are to forget the stories of courage that we find in the scriptures. We forget these stories of courage of people who did not allow who did not allow the world to shape them into their mold. It was in these times when these people found that God was most faithful. When over and over again in their lives, they responded to him in faith and courage and found out that God was faithful. They stepped outside of the stream. They took a risk. They stepped outside of their comfort zone. And God showed up and proved himself to be faithful. So today we're going to be looking at the story of Daniel, a story where Daniel and his friends faced great pressure to form and to shape their lives according to a particular vision of the good life. And they resisted. In courage and faith, over and over again, they resisted and they found that God was faithful to them. In the book of Daniel, we hear about God's faithfulness to Daniel and his friends when they were obedient to God even when it was a threat to their very life. They were obedient to God when they knew that it was going to put them in danger. 
Because Daniel and his friends knew and believed that God was faithful, and they were willing to lose their life because they knew that by losing it, they would find it. So Daniel chapter 1, the the scripture we read earlier, uh, is a story that begins with the people of Israel in exile. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. If you've closed your Bibles, please uh, open them up. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So Babylon came, came to Jerusalem. Uh, they surrounded the city for months and months, and the people in Jerusalem were starving. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar came into the city. He, he set the city on fire, um, and he destroyed the city, killed many of the people. And then what he did was he took the best people of Israel, and he took them to Babylon. Those who were the most talented, the most gifted, he took them to Babylon. Listen to verses 3 through 5. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that were to enter into the king's service. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were very clever. As you know throughout history, if you've, if you've read any history, you know that during this time there were all kinds of different uh, nations that would rise up, become powerful in the region, and they would conquer these other nations for whatever purpose, for land or whatever else. And some of these nations, they had a certain policy that when they conquered a nation, they would just destroy all of the leaders of that country. Because they didn't want any leaders to kind of stir up trouble and to, to get a band of people around them so that they would revolt and, and you know, destroy or go against the, the kingdom that was in power. That was some policies. That was the policy of the Assyrians who conquered the northern kingdom. They just destroyed all of the leaders of the northern kingdom so that there wouldn't be anybody to lead the people to revolt. Babylon was different. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were very clever. Instead of destroying all the leaders, killing all of them, instead they brought them into Babylon, and they wined them and they dined them. And they sent them to Harvard University. And they put them up in the king's palace in the Ritz-Carlton of the day. And they said, look, if you'll be faithful, if you'll be loyal to Babylon, this is all yours. They took the most talented people, the most gifted people, the wisest people in Jerusalem. And this is what they did to them. They said, if you'll be faithful to us, if you will become a Babylonian, all of this will be yours. Nebuchadnezzar was a clever man. This is the way, this was his policy for those that he conquered. And this is who Daniel and his friends are. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are who they were, talented young men. And they're brought into Babylon, and they're sent off to Harvard University. And they're wined and they're dined. And they're put up in the king's palace. Nebuchadnezzar is luring them 
to live according to a certain vision of the good life. He's saying to them, Daniel and your friends, come and live according to this vision and all will be well. Like Tellus, the future is friendly in Babylon. The future is friendly in Babylon. Invest your life here. You will be safe and secure and powerful and happy here. So become a Babylonian. Be like us and all of this will be yours. Happiness can be found here. Power and wealth can be found here. And Daniel and his friends, the way that they interact with Babylon is, is an amazing picture of, uh, of the way that you and I need to think about how to be in the world and not of it. Because Daniel and his friends, they receive the education. They go to the king's palace and they serve the king. Yet at every single point in their life, when it comes to a point where they would have to identify themselves as a Babylonian, they refuse to do it. We will serve Babylon. We will seek the best for Babylon. We will use our gifts and our talents and our skills for Babylon, but we will not be Babylonians. We are worshipers of the God of Israel. At the beginning of the story, we read that Daniel and his friends are faced with this very early test. Just have some of this good food. That's all it is. Just eat some of the food. We're not asking you to bow to any images. We're not asking you to not pray. We're not asking you to worship your God. Just eat some of this food. And Daniel and his friends, they refuse. This food was against the law of God. And so they said, no. We are faithful Israelites. We will not eat your food. And so over the course of this story that we just read, uh, the, uh, the person who's in charge of them doesn't want to do it because he thinks, you know, they're going to get weak and the king's going to see them and he's going to wonder why I'm not doing my job. And so Daniel and his friends say, okay, well, that's fine. I understand your concern. If you'll just test us for about 10 days, just feed us vegetables, just don't give us the food. You can have the food for yourself maybe. Just give it to us. Just give us vegetables and we'll be fine and see what happens. And after 10 days, the story says that they were stronger and healthier than any of the other servants that were there. What I want to suggest to you is that this very early test that Daniel and his friends go through, in this test they realize that something happens to them that only God could do. At the end of this test, they saw something that only God could have done. They were stronger and healthier on the vegetables and water that they were eating and drinking than the other servants who ate the very best food in the kingdom. This was something that only God could do. In this early test, where they had to walk in courage, where they had to take a risk, where they had to be sure that they weren't going to be identified as Babylonians, in that early test, they discovered that God is faithful and that as they act in boldness and courage, that God will be faithful. And this shapes the way that they act the rest of their time in Babylon. And so we know these stories about Daniel and his friends. In chapter 3, Daniel, Shadrach, and, uh, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego are, are asked with the whole kingdom 
to bow down before this huge statue that had been made of Nebuchadnezzar, that any time a certain piece of music was played, that everyone needed to bow down. Show that you're faithful to Babylon. And they refuse. They won't do it. What happens? They're seen standing while everyone else is kneeling. So they're dragged off to the palace, and they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into this fiery furnace. And they are preserved, and they are saved. Later on in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, a new conquering army has come and taken over. The Persians have defeated the Babylonians, and Daniel is still in a place of power. And the people in this new kingdom are like, who is this Daniel guy, and why does he have so much power? Let's get him out of here. We're kind of tired of him uh, being the king's right-hand man. And so they play this trick on the king and Daniel and say that anyone who prays to anyone other than the king will be thrown into the den of lions. What does Daniel do? He continues, of course, to pray to pray every single day like he always did, and they find him praying, and they throw him into the lion's den, and his life is preserved. God is faithful as Daniel walks in courage and in faith. In each instance, Daniel and his friends trusted God. They would not allow themselves to be conformed to the mold of the world. They would not allow themselves to become Babylonians. Instead, they said, no, we are going to walk in courage and faith, And God showed that he was able. And I love the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they are standing there before the fiery furnace. You remember what they say? They're standing there, and the king gives them one more chance. Bow before me, and everything will be okay. And this is what they say. They reply to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They didn't know for sure whether they would avoid suffering whether or not they would lose their earthly life. But for them, it did not matter. They knew that they were called to lose their life so that they could find it. And it's through these stories where Daniel and his friends step out in faith, not allow themselves to be shaped by Babylon, where they find out that God is able and that God does things that only God could do, where they begin to learn the character and nature of God as they took a risk. What we see in the book of Daniel, and as I read through uh, the book over the last couple of weeks, what we read in this story very clearly is that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not, are not the heroes of the book. The hero of the book is God. It is God over and over again who shows up and does things that only God could have done. It is God who from the very chapter shows himself to be faithful to Daniel and his friends when they walk obediently to him. That they can trust him with their life. That's what they learn. I think this whole story comes down to this question. Who or what will we trust with our life? Will we trust our own ability to somehow make ourselves safe through uh, our own uh, 
work, through our own ability, through our own cleverness in saving up enough things that we will be safe at the end? Will we invest our life in the hopes of this vision of the good life that we're given to us by our culture? Will we trust in that and hope for that, or will we trust and hope for God? in God? In the book of, the Daniel, uh, book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends trust in God, and God shows up as the hero over and over again. He is the one who is able. As they walk in faith, they come to know God. They come to know his character. They come to see that no matter how good Babylon looks, no matter how much wealth and power and comfort is available to them in Babylon, that ultimately there is no true life there. True life was found in coming to know the character of God and being able to lose their life so that they could find it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to look shortly at this prayer of Paul. In this prayer, Paul is about to tell the Ephesians how they're to live, how they're to live in faith and courage. But before he does that in the book of Ephesians, he prays this prayer for them. He prays, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. Paul's prayer, before he calls us to go into the world and to act faithfully in all the ways that he describes in the last half of Ephesians, he prays that they would know Christ. The source of our courage is not our will. It is not our strength. The source of our courage to live like Daniel and his friends did is a personal knowledge of God and his love and his goodness and his character. So Paul prays that they would have power to grasp and come to know Christ, the one whose love is high and wide and long and deep. The source of our courage is not our will. We cannot will ourselves to resist being shaped by the world. We cannot will ourselves to lose our life. It's natural, very human of us to hold on to it. We need to discover, like Daniel and his friends did, that God is good, that he is faithful, and that we are only ultimately safe in him. We ultimately see this example of faith and obedience in Christ himself. Christ himself was the one who more than anyone else felt the pressure of being conformed to the pattern of this world. 
in his temptation, in his temptation, he's tempted three times to take on power and authority and privilege that will give him worldly success and worldly comfort. And at each moment, Jesus resists. Jesus, over and over again in his ministry, is called to conform to the pattern of this world. Jesus, you have all of these followers. Why don't you lead us and become king? And over and over again, he resists. Jesus turned his back on all that the world offered to him and instead obeyed his heavenly father, trusted in his heavenly father who he knew and loved and was faithful, willingly suffered, willingly suffered. And it was through that suffering that Jesus experienced resurrected, abundant life. And it was through that suffering that he offers us abundant life. Let's pray. Father God, we confess to you that we want to hold on tightly to our life. We confess to you that we want to avoid pain and suffering at any cost. But we confess to you that we are often not willing to suffer for your sake. Lord, I pray that in the example of Daniel and his friends, and even more in the example of Christ himself, where we see an example of obedience that led to danger and to risk. Lord, I pray that in our lives, in each day, that we would be able to see places where you are calling us to enter into places of risk and danger, places where we need to lose our life for your sake. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for when we have not been willing to do that. And by your Spirit, I pray that you would give us the power to do it. Amen.